Hired by faith, driven by results, it's the Compassion Network Podcast with Tia Ramey. Thank you for tuning in to the Compassion Network, where we discuss leadership from the perspective of faith. I'm your host, Tia Ramey, and I'm excited to introduce to you my network of compassionate friends around the state of Ohio that made changing lives their business. Tonight, I want to introduce you to a woman that has spent a large portion of her career advocating for justice. Judge Terry Jamison is a leader that has served Central Ohio families as a judge in the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas Domestic Relations Division. Woo, that's a mouthful. I thought it would be important to have a conversation about justice and faith, and I couldn't think of anyone better to learn from. Judge Terry Jamison, welcome to the Compassion Network. Thank you so much, Tia, for the opportunity to speak to your audience this evening. We are excited to hear from you. I've got some positive response about this episode from social media and people who are um, think very highly of you in the community. So that always helps when it comes to site traffic and ratings. Um, I just wanted to learn really quickly about your professional background and your experience, and then we can get rolling with some of the questions. Well, um, my professional experience here in Columbus begins as an insurance agent. I owned and operated my own insurance agency for approximately 16 years. I went back to Franklin, well, first started at Columbus State and transferred to Franklin to um, obtain my business deg- uh, administration degree um, as a working adult. Um, after I received my degree and sold my agency, I entered Capital University Law School, where I graduated with a Juris Doctor degree, and shortly thereafter started my own practice. Well, that is amazing. Um, it sounds like you've been very entrepreneurial for some time. Were there any sort of, um, you know, challenges with starting a business? Are you, were, you know, were you kind of hesitant to do something like that, or has this kind of just been in your nature, second nature to do? Well, it's really been in my second nature. I began my first business at the age of 25 years old. I'm not going to say how old I am now. Uh, <laughs> so when I started my own law firm, it wasn't a big jump for me because I had owned my my own business for so long. Um, And going back to school, finishing a business degree gave me more job skills in, um, excuse me, marketing, HR, and also um, making sure that I was running a profitable business, learning how to do profit and loss statements, asset and liability balance sheets, became very important to me. So I wanted to have that information and learn how to do that on my own and not have to rely on other people to do that for me. So you made this transition from, you know, being this entrepreneur and having your own practice into now saying I'm going to run for office Um, as a judge. Can you just kind of talk to us a little bit about, 
where did this inspiration come from to go from one place to the next? Uh, and I'm just saying that from my small experience of being entrepreneurial and then going into public service was <laughs> a culture shock for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what that transition was like for you and what inspired you to do that sort of work. Well, I think that um, for me, public service has always really been a way of life. Even when I was in uh, insurance, I worked with families on life insurance, auto, home insurance, any all lines of insurance. When I came into the practice of law, I predominantly worked with criminal defense, juvenile defense, domestic, and probate, which are all centered around the family. And I did a lot of education in the community around those four areas of practice. So when I initially was asked about running for judge, I didn't know if it was something I really wanted to do. I really put a lot of prayer in. It was something that God wanted me to do, first of all, because taking on Mm. the um, running for office is not for the weak of heart. It requires a lot of time. It requires sacrifice of your own finances sometimes. It requires um, having a good name in the community, being able to reach people, and actually market yourself to the community. And because I had that practice and the insurance background, a lot of my marketing had been done for 24-plus years for people to know who I was. And even when I went to law school, I externed with the Ohio Attorney General's Office in civil rights. So I began, that was another element of um, service that I was giving to the community. So, you know, it's really about knowing that you're supposed to serve. And mm. I've been a servant in my life as a Christian, and I'm a servant now. I love that you said that because the Compassion Network is all about the way your faith inspires you to do the work that you do. Uh, Can you speak to some of the obstacles that you may have had to experience in running for office? Because, you know, what we do know as people of faith is that, you know, the Lord tells you to do something. It doesn't mean that it's all smooth sailing from there. So I would love to hear about some of the things you had to overcome in in that time of running for office. Well, I first had to overcome whether or not I would be able to get on the ballot. I did not run the first time as an endorsed candidate by a major party. I ran as an independent. And when running as an independent, you are required to – the year that I ran, I needed – over 3,400 ballot signatures of voters to get on the ballot. So that was my first obstacle, and I kind of approached it um, by putting out a fleece, if you would so say it that way. I was like, Lord, if I get the signatures, then I know it's you, and I'm supposed to be on the ballot. Because I had missed time to file a petition to run under a major party. But I did. I decided that it was 
the year for me to run after consulting with the Holy Spirit, talking it over with my husband. You know, we agreed that it was the time to do it. And you need agreement in your household if you're married when taking on this type of challenge. So I got the first obstacle was getting the signatures. Then the other obstacles that I faced, I was running against an incumbent who uh, was well regarded by the Bar Association, and I did not receive a lot of financial support. In fact, my first race, my total submitted on my finance report was a little bit over $10,000. So finances is a huge obstacle in running for office. But, you know, I counted every day and I prayed every day about how to spend what I did have and where to put it. And then God began to open up doors where people in, and you know about marketing having key centers of influence, how they began to introduce me into their um, individual areas to people that I would not have gotten to know in other ways. So where I didn't have money, I had key centers of influence. I had faith in God, and I just kept moving forward every day and encouraging myself to stay in it. You spoke to a few things that I think are really important to address. Um, And one thing I noticed that everyone has said on the Compassion Network, they talked about the importance of understanding your position as a servant, Um, but they also talked about having agreement in your home. And I I think that that's one of those signs that I have known, like, Lord, if you want me to do this, you have to get my husband on board. Uh, he's he's not the risk taker that I am, and so I usually know that if if he is in alignment with what I'm um, I'm doing or what the Lord is is pushing me to do, then I know it. Then it's a go. Uh, so I really appreciate that you address you know your family and your home and the support that it takes you know to take on great tasks. So would you mind just kind of addressing the family's role and just supporting women? you know, in, in getting into to positions of leadership, you know, how can we support our daughters or our girls or the women in our family? What should the family be doing to help? Because you have been uh, really groomed for it, it sounds like, with entrepreneurship being, you know, a, a natural instinct for you to take on. You know, what are some of those things in your background, uh, maybe ways that your family may have contributed to those characteristics and attributes in you that, You didn't mind, you know, taking those risks and and doing great things. Well, I grew up in a family that was an intact family, father and mother in the household. And I remember as a, a young person, my mother going back to school and getting her degree and then being one of the first African American women to be promoted to a supervisory position in the Department of Welfare, where we come from in West Virginia, which was a segregated area. So I remember her being our youth leader for the NAACP and taking on challenges of of having a family, going back to school, getting into a supervisory position, 
and being one of the few black women at the table and seeing that. So when you have that model in front of you, you automatically feel that there's nothing that you can't overcome. I went through desegregation of schools myself because West Virginia desegregated later than most of the other states in the union. So I went through that, leaving the black school going into a uh, diverse school where you were not always treated the best because of where we were. So when you grow up with those obstacles and you've had to overcome them yourself, that's one thing. Seeing your mother do it is another. My husband participated fully in this campaign. He delivered yard signs. He went to early voting and passed out literature. He marketed with his he, – he's a center of influence. It, at the time, he was um, – in law enforcement as a deputy sheriff. So he had a center of, he was a center of influence with law enforcement. So you have to learn what each other brings to the table um, as, as a couple. And one cannot expect someone to be what they're not, but you use what they have to offer to make your um, what God has given you to do successful. And then in turn, you do the same for them in whatever goals and dreams that they have. That is really good. I, I love everything that you just said. Um, and I'm curious, even your husband, you know, what kind of uh, values were put into him uh, as a young man growing up, being prepared to support his wife and taking on the leadership role. And, you know, and not that I want to sound misogynistic, but not all men are grouped for that. Uh, so I'm very well, curious as I, to what that made of. Yeah, please, please. Uh, my husband's father died when he was eight years old. So he was raised by a single mother. And at a very early age, um, he started working after school to help provide for himself and to take some of the uh, weight off of his mother for things that he wanted. He and his brother are the youngest of six, so they grew up without their father. So they both started working early to take some of the weight off of their mother. So... Um, even though, you know, his father died early, his mother was a hardworking person as a single mother. She bought a home, put them in a home, and they just knew that if they did not work at an early age that they would not have some of the extras that they would have. She was able to meet their needs but not always meet the extra wants that they had. Wow. You know, families make such a huge difference in in preparing leaders, and everyone has a different story. And that's one thing that I appreciate about um, the way God calls people is that it's not always ideal. And sometimes it's an underdog. Sometimes it's, it's not the most ideal person that came from the big, fancy background. Sometimes they're people who have risen and emerged from tough times. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I imagine in your work, you've probably seen families that are going through some stressful things. I've heard that during COVID-19, you know, that divorce rates are higher and there's a lot going on with families. Is there anything you can enlighten us about what's happening 
families right now and maybe some encouraging words that you have for families that may end up um, in front of you? Well, I think what I've seen um, with the stay-at-home order in particular, people are so accustomed to not spending family time together that it has caused an increase in stress. We have seen an increase in domestic violence cases. We have seen an increase in um, some of the child abuse or neglect cases. However, Mm. conversely, we have also seen an increase in the number of marriage licenses that have been issued. So stress can be uh, positive or negative. It depends on how you deal with it. So um, in domestic relations court here in Franklin County, we also have a juvenile branch. So we have jurisdiction over divorces, dissolutions, child custody, parentage actions, abuse, neglect, dependency, uh, juvenile delinquency, civil protection orders, juvenile protection orders. And I like to say most things that happen to the family except adoption. So uh, we each, we have six judges in our court. We each have approximately 7,200 cases each that we preside over, and we have about 24 magistrates that help us with that job. And even with the way we divide the work up, it's still a lot of cases per judge, and we are the busiest court in the state of Ohio. Wow. So, so I'm, I'm sure I would you like hear to encourage families, though. Mm-hmm. I would like mm-hmm. to encourage families because a lot of families did not grow up intact and they don't know how to set family time together. Um, we're not equipped to do our teaching of our children because that's not what we do. And people are having to take on roles that they have not had to take on. They feel inadequate. They're feeling stressed. Um, Many didn't have uh, laptops, didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have those amenities in the home to be able to teach their children. So we've seen a lot of adjustments that had to be made in a short amount of time. We've seen Mm -hmm. an increase in um, the death rate or the actual COVID uh, diagnoses has been uh, about 29% black in Franklin County. So we're seeing that uh, because of the types of positions that we normally have and the underlying conditions, this virus has affected our community or in a disproportionate way. Can you speak to some of that as to, you know, those who may not understand why, why would it community in a disproportionate way in Franklin County? Well, if you work in a position that you don't have paid time off or your company was not able to give you leave to go home and stay at home, and you were considered a non-essential employee, you had to wait 
until unemployment claims were processed. You didn't have money saved. The average wealth, I believe, of a black woman, the last time I checked the statistics, they said was about five cents. We live from paycheck to paycheck. Um, We don't have uh, contingency plans. We don't have money saved up. When I was in financial planning, they taught us that you should have at least six months of um, income saved. Not income, but uh, six months of your budget saved so that you could live for six months without receiving money. How many of us really practice that? How many of us save money? In the Japanese country, their citizens save about 20% of their income. We are not taught that in our, um, in our community. We don't own things. We rent. We're consumers. We have a lot of consumer debt. We, um, you know, we're just in those, and we're in positions that put us on the front lines. We are the CNAs, the STNAs, the nurses, um, the people in the plants or in logistics where we're out delivering products. We're in the Kroger's. We're the cashiers. We're the frontline workers. So we are more in contact with it. And we don't have the ability to say, I'm non-essential, I'm at home, I'm getting a check, I don't need to go out there. We have to be out there. Wow. Thank you for breaking that down. And, and it's, it's an economic disparity. Uh, and so We have an economic disparity, and we also have disparities in health care. So what would be your We might not have health insurance. Right. You know, I've Which been that person problem. that's been without a job. I've been that person mm-hmm. that didn't have health insurance. While I was going to school, I didn't have health insurance for about six years. And I had to rely on the Lord for my health and strength. I had to rely on the Lord many times when I didn't have the money to make my my bills. Um, I've had to rely on the Lord. But I learned early in life how to tithe and how to give and how to expect God to meet your needs when you do what he says that you should do and be obedient to his word even when it doesn't look right. You know, it doesn't look right to, and and this is a place you have to grow to. Everybody can't grow to the place where they depend 100% on God. You have Mm -hmm. to grow to that place. It's not something that you might be able to do overnight. But I was taught this when I was young, to always give to others that didn't have it and to always give unto the Lord. So whether I didn't have money, I would give time. I used my talents and my gifts in the house of the Lord to make his programs go forward. So giving has to be in all aspects of your life. When you're a servant or a servant leader, you have to be prepared to give. Jesus gave. 
you need to give. So even when you don't have it, you have to. That's good. I'm glad that you said to give time uh, because I, I think that those are some really great, uh, a great place to start. And I know the word says that God loves a cheerful giver. So if you can at least just give some time, you know, to what's having your community a cause or just even going and being a part of the church. I know that um, when I was coming up, uh, we belonged to a church that really saw our family through some tough times, you know, losing a home. Or, Absolutely. You know, I, I remember sometimes, you know, we didn't have any gifts for Christmas. And then when, you know, Christmas Eve, church just loaded us up. Like being a part of those sort of communities make a difference in contributing to it. And I don't know that the next generation under really fully understands the role of the church um, do you have maybe a few words left on the impact that being a part of a faith community has made on you and, and what you believe that could help in this season during COVID-19? I cannot remember a time when I was not a part of the faith community. My grandfather was a pastor. My uncles, my cousins were pastors. Um, we were always involved in the church and giving into the community through our faith-based connection. I can't remember a time when I wasn't part of it, even when I wasn't a believer myself. Our parents kept us involved in the church. And I did not become a believer myself until the age of 23. And I can say that when I became a true believer, that was not only listening but a doer of the word and putting those principles into practice, my life changed direction. Um, I can still remember the first time I walked into the church that I belong to now. I've only belonged to one church since I've been in Columbus since 1983, and I've been at that church since that time. I still remember it. I still remember feeling that I had another family. I remember the feeling that when I was in need, how the missionaries came and they assisted me. I remember the mothers praying for me. I remember all of those tough times that I went through that they were there to encourage me. Being there when I graduated and got my degree, they were there when I graduated from law school. They were there when I um, had my insurance agency. I remember all the times when I bought my first home, they came and gave me a housewarming. I remember all of those things. As I've moved from career to career, from home to home, they've always been there and, and are as much an extension of me as I believe I am of them. And, you know, um, just having that support when my family was in West Virginia, having that support when my mother, having that support, you know, it's it's an invaluable asset to your life to have somebody pray for you, have people that love you, even when they don't like what you're doing and they still love you and they still pray for you. It's invaluable mm-hmm. in this time. 
I agree. I belong to a prayer group of women, and we do a conference call on Wednesdays and Fridays at 6 a.m. It's a very small group, um, but it is a, it's an accountability group, and we meet for about an hour. And that group has held me together. <laughs> We've been probably meeting for about three years now, um, and that's just a small extension of my faith community that I love to meet with regularly, and then we try to get together and do um, once a month. But uh, they have held me together, and they have prayed me through some really hard times. And likewise, I've been able to pray them through some hard times, and we've seen so many miracles in one another's lives of just being able to come together, um, you know, and, and advocate for one another before the Lord. So I, I would definitely encourage anyone that may be new or maybe you are curious about the Lord just to, you know, find a small group to connect with because you do need your brothers and sisters in Christ, to do this Yes, walk. you do. And you'll find that some people are in your life for a season and other people are in your life for a reason. Well said. Well said. I've had so some I really great mentors. This. Yes. Mentorship is so important. Uh, and, and, and on all levels, I, I tell people that I have a mentor for everything. <laughs> um, so being a mother, being a wife, or being a business owner, um, even, you know, the work I've done in public service, I, I always find a mentor. It's just a practice of mine. Um, but I know we're, like, in the last minute, and I want to ask this question because, and I love to ask everyone this that comes on the Compassion Network, you're doing great work. How do we support you in the work that you're doing? Well, this year in uh, November of 2020, I am on the ballot for um, my judicial seat. So I would ask uh, if you believe that I am where I should be, that you support me with your vote. Anyone that would like to help on my campaign, you can go to votejudgejameson.com, and that's Jameson with an I, -I J-A-M-I-S-O-N.com, and sign up to be a volunteer or give a donation, or help in whatever way that you would like, help putting out yard signs, or just putting my name out into the community and becoming one of my key persons of influence. And Wonderful. Pray for so me. I will make sure and pray, yes. And I will update the website that so it has your link, so that way those who have been impressed by our conversation today or have known you in the community remember that they can vote they can donate, they can support you. So please visit the website, and there will be a link tonight so that you can support Judge Jameson. Thank you so much for coming on. This was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate you, and I pray that God bless you as you continue to do the work he has given you to do. I will take every prayer you've got for me. I do not take that lightly. In closing, guys, the Compassion Network is all about leadership from the perspective of faith. It takes great faith to fight for justice and inspire others to do the same. Leaders like Judge Terry Jameson understand firsthand the value, the difference they make in, in a just society and families and the balance that they need and able to uh, make sure that our democracy even makes a difference. When families are good, communities are good. When communities are strong, you know, then our country is strong. 
So please learn more about Judge Terry Jameson when you visit the guest page of our website, CompassionNetworkPodcast.com. You can read her bio. Tomorrow night, I have a mental health professional that will come on and talk to us about stigma in the faith community, and she's also going to give you the tools to manage your anxiety during COVID-19. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Compassion Network podcast. Follow us on social media, and let faith lead you into greatness. You are listening to the Compassion Network Podcast.